As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The best old-time radio from people you trust. The Radio Nostalgia Network, where the oldies are still young. It's Friday on Radio Memories, and that's when we enter an alternate dimension. Science Fiction Friday. When nine o'clock on a spring morning appears so far as your eyes can tell as dark as midnight, then there is something very seriously wrong somewhere. Albert? Albert! Where are you? I awoke suddenly in what I assumed was still the middle of the night. Pitch dark. I couldn't even see my hand in front of my face. But then from the road outside my window... Morning? How could it be morning? But then I remembered. I was in Bitewater. I'd flown my tiger moth in the day before to deliver an urgent consignment of insulin, and Bitewater is a village of the blind. The man's watch must have stopped. Of course, he couldn't see, so got up thinking it was daylight. I reached for the light switch, but it didn't seem to be working. Ah! But there's no electricity in Bitewater. I was in the back of beyond. That you, John? Ah, uh, it's Greg. How do you know it was me? I always know it's you by the sound of your cart. Uh, You've got a cracked wheel rim. Ah, uh, well. Uh, can't be late for work, old lad. It's coming up to nine. Cheerio! Nine? Nine o'clock? How could it be? Light should be streaming through the window. It was the month of May, for goodness sake. I felt around for my watch, trying to remember where I'd left it the night before. I was beginning to panic. My eyes. Had I, too, been struck blind? Ow! My hand brushed against a box of matches. Quickly, I fumbled for a match, fearful that I would strike it only to feel heat, but see no flame. Oh, thank heaven. It burnt. I could see. Light. Beautiful light. But then, as my relief subsided, I was gripped by a new fear. If it's morning, why is it so dark? 
I swept back the curtains, but only darkness lay beyond. What had happened to the sun? Why hadn't it risen? Mr. Hartlow? Mr. Hartlow, where are you? That was the moment when my life as I had known it for the last 29 years ended. Right there on that Wednesday, 28th of May. There was no tolling of the funeral bell to mark its passing. Only the sounds that should not be. Those morning sounds so strangely out of place in the darkness. Horses pulling carts. The blind tapping their sticks as they set out for work. For some reason, however, it remained dark. The sun was dead. And this was the beginning of everlasting night. Mr. Hartlow? Mr. Hartlow, can you hear me? The road and meadows lay in utter darkness. I kept walking, holding up a lamp to light my way. Hello? Mr. Hartlow? Anyone? David? Mr. Hartlow, I didn't see you there. What's wrong? Are you hurt? I walked into a tree. Must have fallen over my own feet, too. Clumsy devil. Hmm. What's happened, David? Something's gone wrong, hasn't it? It's dark. All dark. It's like the sun hasn't come up. He didn't speak for a moment. That kind-hearted man, who'd been blinded 30 years ago, along with 99% of humanity, when those green lights blazed across the sky. That kind of darkness is a great equaliser between the two of us, isn't it? The sighted and the unsighted. If I help, do you think you can walk? May I sit for a moment? Feel a little dizzy? Of course. Take as long as you need. Please, um, let me tell you something. It's been preying on my mind for years. We possess this tiny oasis of civilization here on the Isle of Wight, while the rest of Europe is wilderness now. We're safe, we have enough to eat. But a long time ago, I reached the conclusion that all this hard work of ours is futile. You see... I truly believe that three decades ago, nature, fate, or God himself, decided to wipe us out, render us extinct. Yet some of us survived and settled here on the island. I tell you, David, God will not be cheated. He has marked us out for extinction. Listen, in nearly every culture, legends prophesy that darkness precedes the apocalypse. Mr. Hartnell... <sighs> Why are you rubbing your neck? Did you hurt it when you fell? The Vikings, the Sumerians, they all have legends of darkness that herald the coming of disaster. Is there something on your neck? Remember the Bible's book of Exodus. One of the plagues to afflict Pharaoh was darkness. The Lord God said to Moses, Stretch your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. A darkness to be felt. Remember those words, David. This... Darkness marks the beginning of the end. Hey, Mr. Hartlow, I've got you. Mr. Hartlow. Oh. Mr. Hartlow was dead. Strange. How could simply walking into a tree have caused the man's death? But then my lamp revealed a crimson mark on his neck, and I knew what had happened. 
had to find a radio straight away and warn HQ. Holding that lamp high, I headed back into the village, searching for a post office, because I knew that's where I'd find a two-way radio. The streets were deserted. Ominously. Hello? Anyone here? The little shop was empty. I feared that its residents had met the same fate as Mr. Hartlow. I soon found the radio, attached the battery clips, and switched on. Hello, this is an emergency transmission on frequency 9. Emergency HQ, Newport. Do you read me? Over. Emergency HQ, do you read me? Over on frequency 9. Please stay off air. This channel is for emergency calls only. I am making an emergency call. I need to report... The darkness? Yes, caller, we know about that. Now, I must keep this frequency clear for fire reports. Please, go off air. No, listen, I have something else to report. It's vitally important. Very well. Go ahead. My name is David Mason, calling from Bikewater. I wish to report a Triffid incursion. Triffids? You heard correctly, Triffids. And until someone tells me differently, I'd say we've just been invaded. Triffids. The Great Blinding. Together they created the most destructive event in human history... Billions died, cities fell into ruin, civilization collapsed, and the Triffid, the plant that walks and kills, conquered the world. That was over three decades ago. Yes, there are still survivors, fragile colonies dotted here and there. They cling to life, just. Listen, can you hear that? I've never known a fiercer storm. Close your eyes, David. Allow memory to carry you back to the beginning. But where is the beginning? That morning when the sun failed to rise? Or so it seemed. Or perhaps just a few days before that, when I was in the greenhouse with my father, Bill Mason. There he stood, gazing at triffids growing in a line. They were docked of their stings, quite safe. These specimens would kill no one. You know, that was the first time my father spoke to me, not as a father to his child, but man to man. David, will you listen to that? They're lively today. If it wasn't for the chains holding them, they'd be off for a stroll. <laughs> you should have heard them talking last night. The Triffids? I've not heard them so active in a while. Sticks wrapping away against their stems like some botanical version of Morse code. You really think they can talk? I do wonder whether Triffids have mastered the art of conversation. You mean that Triffid by the door could be saying something along the lines of just listen to those two humans, they're talking about us again? <laughs> Maybe. So you still believe they're intelligent? Yeah, I must have dissected thousands of the blessed things, but I've yet to find trace of a nervous system. Or anything that could be remotely described as a brain. Uh, yes, <laughs> I know you've heard these theories of mine since you were knee-high. <laughs> Yet my instinct tells me there is more to this infernal plant than meets the eye. I've watched how they operate for decades. They appear to communicate by tapping those little sticks against their trunks. When they lash out with their stings, they always aim for the unprotected face or neck. I've witnessed entire legions of triffids on the march. They target communities of survivors. They prowl and attack and kill. Like there's an ice-cold mind hiding somewhere inside all that greenery. 
But we can still beat them. Oh, indeed. We're going to try our damned hardest. After all, I don't believe they should inherit the Earth, do you? Grief, Dad. It's like they're answering your question. They're in good voice, aren't they? My children of the soil. So, my triffid friends, why are you so vocal today? What have you heard? Is Triffid High Command ordering a new attack? Are you eager to join the fight? Look at them. They're trying to pull the chains out. Go ahead. Do your best, Triffids. Those links are embedded in concrete. You are well and truly shackled. David, I've always possessed this steel hardcore optimism, but lately... I'm beginning to have doubts, you know. But surely we're safe from wild triffids on the island. We're holding our own, son. Yet sometimes I wonder if this is just the eye of the storm. But we're only secure for the moment. Are you saying this is a fool's paradise? Pass me my tobacco, will you? Thanks. What I will say is this. By sheer good fortune, we've been given a breathing space after escaping here from the mainland. The last 25 years have been a lull. A peaceful, even prosperous lull. But we must face a harsher reality. That at some point, we shall encounter our greatest challenge yet. But we're succeeding here. We have law and order, commerce, transport, growing birth rate. A miracle in its own right. I haven't confessed my fears to you before, but I'm afraid that we've grown complacent. Here we are, safe on our little island. However, we have largely turned our backs on the outside world. David, listen to me. We are brilliant in the art of repair. We recycle, we refurbish, but we don't build from scratch. We don't dig ore from the ground to produce refined metals. If we're not doing that, how can we build new tractors or even cast so much as a humble spoon? Those aircraft you fly... They're good machines. Yes, I agree. But the newest one is over 30 years old. 30 years. This should be in a museum. Listen to me. Whatever we're achieving isn't enough. We must move forward. Enough of scavenging on this... this carrion of a dead civilization. We need to manufacture components. We must invent new machines, because one day there will be nothing left of the old world to scavenge. And then, without a shadow of a doubt, we shall decline into a new dark age, one from which we will never emerge. When I heard my father speak like that, I understood that he'd been brooding on a long-held fear. He predicted a future devoid of even the remnants of civilization. He anticipated a time of chaos and the death of our island community. Outside, but inside our hearts, the sun is beaming. More good news. Anti-Triffid units have destroyed the recent incursion of plants, so we're safe once more. Island Radio. 
Maybe like no coward. Sounds more like whistling in the dark to me. Hello, David Mason speaking. Mason, I've a mission for you. Commander Reynolds, good morning. Morning? Could be blasted midnight, couldn't it? I'm having the javelin prepped and fueled. I want you to take her up, Mason, and find out what's gone and robbed us of, well, the sunlight. Yes, sir. You'll have a passenger, a meteorologist called Seymour Hinkman. Godspeed, Mason, and be careful. There's some bloody awful weather brewing out there. continued his description of cloud formations as we climbed. Raindrops exploded against the glass canopy. 5,000 feet, 6,000, and still darkness. Then Seymour yelled, That flash, what the hell was that? Lightning. Is it possible that lightning might strike the aircraft? It's not a possibility, Seymour, it's a certainty. Oh. A lightning strike will make the instruments a bit lively, but we're not Earth, so there'll be no damage. With it being so dark, you will be able to find your way back to the airfield. Don't worry, I'm in radio contact with the ground. They have us nice and square in the radar screen. But hold on tight. This baby can really move. The jet hurtled upwards like a skyrocket. I expected that at any moment we would burst from the cloud into dazzling sunlight. I sang out that we'd reached 50,000 feet. The weather expert's response was one of bewilderment. My God, there can't possibly be any cloud above us. It's still dark. At the risk of being damned for sounding poetic, it's like the gods have drawn a shroud over the earth. Makes the blood run cold, doesn't it? Okay, time to head for home. Mason to control, I'm flying blind. You're going to have to talk me in. You have me in radar contact. Over. The eruption of Krakatoa flung debris into the atmosphere, resulting in a severe reduction of sunlight reaching the Earth. But not to this degree. Not to absolute darkness. Ground control, I'm not perceiving you. Over. Nevertheless, one must suppose dust particles high in the atmosphere are acting as a blackout curtain. Seymour, we have a problem. Huh? I've lost contact with ground control. Is that serious? Yes. It was serious. The darkness meant I was flying blind. Without radio contact, 
Ground control couldn't talk me in. I needed them to give me coordinates from their radar screen. I preferred landing that jet on the island's runway, not in someone's cabbage patch. Understandably, Seymour was getting nervous. We're going to crash, aren't we? Not if I can help it. But the thunderstorms must have knocked out their radio down there. I'll keep circling until they fix it. What happens when the fuel runs out? Well, then we'll just have to get out and walk. Get out and walk. Yes, an old flyer's joke that I hoped would lessen the man's fear. It didn't, of course. He was terrified. Meanwhile, the fuel gauge crept into the ominous red zone. Seymour, listen. The fuel's low. I'm going to have to take her in. How? It's dark as a tomb out there. The jet is equipped with powerful landing lights. Even if I can't locate the runway, I'll be able to find a level field where I can still put this crate down in one piece. Dangerous. I can't begin to stress how dangerous this was. There was no sign of the runway, meaning I'd have to land the machine on its belly in a meadow without lowering the wheels. Because if I did deploy the undercarriage and the front wheel dug into soft ground, the jet would cartwheel, going end over end with such destructive force that we'd be killed for sure. This was the only way. Even so, our chances of surviving a crash landing would be slim. The landing made me lose interest in everything that this big wide world has to offer. Eventually, I opened my eyes and realized I still occupied the pilot's seat. Someone had raised the glass canopy and I could hear raindrops tapping against my flying helmet. My neck ached like fury. David? David, are you all right? I'll live. Seymour? Yes? Are you still in the aircraft? Uh, yes, I decided to wait here until you came round. Oh, you idiot. There might have been enough fuel in the tanks to blow us sky high. Sorry. But you're not hurt. I'm fine. Oh, thank goodness for that. Okay. Well, there are torches in the emergency kit, so at least we'll be able to see when we start walking. Walking? Do you know where we've landed? We'll head due south. If we're on the mainland, that will take us to the coast. If we're on the Isle of Wight, we'll probably find a farmhouse. Here's a torch. Ah, thanks. Oh, the plane's a mess. One of its wings has been completely torn. Ah! Seymour! Seymour! Did you take off your helmet? Seymour! I switched on the torch to discover that Seymour was dead. Come on, Trippets. Give me your best shot. What are you waiting for? 
My thick, vulcanized flying suit with the helmet locked down proved as effective as armor plating. Those miserable, perambulating weeds couldn't kill me. Not like poor Seymour. I promise you this. I'm going to return to the Isle of Wight, load a jet with napalm, then I'm going to fry the bloody lot of you. I had to leave Seymour where he fell. Already, Triffids crowded round. The plants stand ten feet tall, green, leathery leaves. Their lethal stingers at the top of the stem can lash out fifteen feet or more. Triffids. Green death. Soon they'd start feeding on Seymour's body. Clearly, I must have crash-landed on the mainland. Therefore, I decided to head south to the coast. With luck, I'd find one of our foraging bases. That was the moment I could thank heaven for at least one small mercy. Ever so gradually, the sky turned from black to grey. Was this the return of daylight? But the land didn't end with a beach. Bizarrely, the landscape just frayed away at the edges, looking as if the ground itself had decayed into fibres, which were being washed by the surf. I moved closer to the sea, shining my torch this way and that. Then I understood. This land was counterfeit, a freak of nature. It wasn't solid ground at all. I was on a raft. As time passed, the day grew lighter. Not much, but it became bright enough for me to put away the torch. I walked all around the island that wasn't really an island. It was a gigantic raft, formed from driftwood and the remains of what might once have been a jetty. The entire thing was glued together by a layer of turf. Beneath that, there'd be nothing but cold seawater. Of course, this vast floating mass of debris populated by yours truly and Triffids could have been created by sheer chance. Or did this serve as a troop carrier for the Triffids? Did they build the raft? Okay, David. Occupy your mind. Be constructive. Explore. Presently, I came across large mounds that rose out of this otherwise flat landscape of sorts. Nearby, a sign covered with moss. Moorings for permit holders only. Then I understood. Those weed-covered mounds were the hulls of rotting boats and yachts. They, too, had become part of this monstrous craft. Time for a closer look. Choosing one of the boats, I clambered aboard, began tugging aside weeds. Then I found an open door. money. Coins from the old world. Someone had actually stored thousands of the things in the cabin of that boat. And a television bolted to the wall. I'd have loved to have seen a television that works. Imagine a film that appears in that glass in front of the box. Ah, oh, a thing of wonder to be sure. That's when I saw a face at the porthole. A strange, wide-eyed face looking directly at me. 
Drawing my pistol, I ran up on deck. There, at the far end of the derelict boat, was a figure. A live, fast-moving creature with masses of dark hair. Wait! The figure paused. A girl. Yes, a girl, perhaps sixteen or so, dressed in rags and staring at me in shock, like I just burst from a tomb. Of course, the helmet was covering my face. I was scaring her. Don't be alarmed. My name is David. I won't hurt you. There was a feral quality about her, like a wild cat. I won't harm you. Gosh, how did you avoid the triffids? Yes, how did she avoid the sting of the triffids? She wore rags, not protective clothing. Wait, please, don't run away. I'm, I'm sorry, I... I'd heard about abandoned children on the mainland being raised by animals. I'd always dismissed those stories as utter nonsense. But now... Food! You're hungry! Setting my pistol down, I gave her some chocolate for my emergency ration. Ha! Huh. Down in one. You've never eaten chocolate before. Blast! That was close! There's a cricket behind you! Get down, I'll shoot off its stinger! Stop! It's all right! I smashed its stinger! No, wait! No! Don't go in there! Don't! I actually considered putting a bullet into her leg to stop her, but I lowered the gun and shook my head in despair. The terrified girl ran full tilt into the heart of the Triffid Grove, into that death trap. The girl disappeared from sight, and it felt as if something had died inside my heart. Days passed. I lived a miserable existence, holed up in the jet's cockpit. The sun returned to the sky, just. It cast a dull red light that did nothing to lift my spirits. The feral girl must be dead like Seymour. 